Welcome to Fighting for the Underdog, the podcast that follows the tales of compassion and bravery of animal rights activists all over the world. My name is Hannah Grant, and I'm the Administrative Assistant and Social Outreach Director at the Animal Law Firm. I will be taking over as a guest host for our lead attorney and founder, Christina Bergson, in order to create more content for our lovely viewers. As I interviewed these amazing people, I was truly inspired by the common theme of hope that they give to underdogs everywhere. They taught me that sometimes the greatest power an underdog possesses is never giving up hope. Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Today, we have Mary Alverson, a certified dog behavior consultant and founder of The Real Pitbull, a 501c3 nonprofit corporation dedicated to the education and advocacy of the American Pitbull, Staffordshire Terrier, as well as resource on training and behavior for all dogs. I'm very excited to have her on today to talk about all of her hard work. So thanks for being here, Mary. Thank you for having me, and I really appreciate it. Of course. Well, we can just dive right in then. Can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you got started in your field? Sure, absolutely. So as you mentioned, I'm a certified dog behavior consultant. I'm also a certified trick dog instructor. I do AKC, CGC, and trick dog evaluations. I'm a certified dog bite prevention specialist. I'm just kind of one of those people that's always looking to up my educational level. So I kind of like to co uh, collect certifications. Um, my company is Dog Up Inc., which promotes um, forward thinking practices and canine training, behavior, and enrichment. And I also teach reactive dog classes, trick and nose work classes for canine Kim's dog training and behavior here in New Jersey. And um, I've kind of always been a dog person and always been fascinated by dog behavior and training. So I had to kind of think back when I really, you know, felt the spark in me to, to make this my life's passion. And I was probably eight or nine years old. Um, I was visiting the Seeing Eye in Marstown, New Jersey, where they train, you know, the guide dogs for visually disabled people. And I was so intrigued by this idea that you could teach dogs to do such an important role and how reliant the human beings were on these dogs and how much trust there was between that partnership. And when I got home, I remember walking my dogs around my yard and trying to teach them the behaviors that I saw the dogs doing at the seeing eye. And it really got me thinking about what dogs could actually be taught to do and the partnerships that could be built between dogs and humans. And my passion just kind of grew from there. So um, when I was a little older, I guess probably around 10, I, um, my family adopted a little terrier mix that um, we named Cherry from a shelter. And she became kind of my dog. And she was the first dog that I really worked hard training from scratch. I enrolled in a dog training class. Um, my mom had enrolled me in it. And I'll never forget my first time in that class, I was in the orientation, so it was no dogs, it was just the instructor talking. And the instructor was saying how she does not allow children in her classes. So here I am, this little 10 year old getting all excited about training my dog. And she made that comment and my heart just totally sank. And I still remember how that felt, like the disappointment, because I was so invested already at that point in training my dog. For some reason, and I don't know why, the instructor decided to give me a chance and said, well, try one class and see how you do. And she let my, me work my dog. And I ended up doing the entire eight weeks of classes. Um, and that instructor actually later went on and said that she changed her no kids policy and she now allows children because of the success she saw me 
having in class with that little terrier, Cherry, who was my foundation for so much um, that I do today. And from there, that was kind of it. I was on a roll. I went to multiple classes with uh, multiple dogs that I had through the years. I ended up finding a mentor who allowed me to assist in, assist in classes with her. Um, so I was an assistant teacher. I eventually began taking my own students. And the more I worked with dogs, the more I realized there was to know and how much I didn't know. And I became fascinated with how organisms learn, how best to teach dogs. Um, I went the college route to get a two-year degree in psychology to better understand learning. So it's really been a lifelong passion that just continues to grow and evolve over time. I hope that kind of gives you yeah, an idea. Definitely. That's, that's amazing. Do you have any advice for, for others wanting to get started in the behavior and training field? Yeah, absolutely. Um, a foundation in human psychology and learning theory, um, which applies to all organisms, how they learn and the science behind it is imperative because once you have that understanding, kind of some of the misconceptions and myths that surround dog training these days will just fall away. Um, so even if, you know, you don't go the full college degree route, taking some classes at your local community college or picking up some psychology books is a great way to get started. Um, there's so many books and online courses these days that you can delve into to learn more about training dogs. There's some really brilliant people online that offer courses for very reasonable um, prices that will help you understand um, the basics and beyond of training. And um, then there are several certification bodies that you can um, look into and pursue um, that tend to be held to a higher regard than some others. Um, I don't know if I can name drop any of them. The main uh, independent certifying organization is the Certification Council for Professional Dog Trainers. They kind of test knowledge and ability and certify people who then want to go on and become professional trainers. So um, assisting with a, a professional trainer is another way to go. Working with shelter and rescue dogs is a great way to learn. Um, that's what I did. And because the field is so unregulated and kind of just, you know, it's whatever anybody wants to make of it, the route to getting to become a professional trainer or even just being a better dog trainer in home with your own dogs is is kind of wide open and there's a lot of avenues to choose whatever best suits you okay great thanks for that I think that's great advice and I think that like you said there's so many resources even there's a lot that's free online these days for, for yeah get started so there's some really great people on YouTube for instance that um you can learn so much from so there's a there's a lot of resources out there Definitely. This is kind of a broad question, but how has your knowledge on dog training changed over time? Um, oh, well, that's that's an interesting question. Um, just because I started on one end of the spectrum and made such a complete 180. Um, just a little background and history on dog training. When I first started training dogs and took my first class um, way back when, most dog training, like the average dog training book you picked up or the average class you enrolled in was what is called traditional training. And that was very military based. It stemmed from military dog training, um, very 
physical. You threw a choke chain or a prong collar on the dog and just kept jerking the leash until you got the dog to do whatever behavior you wanted them to do or got them to stop whatever behavior you were trying to stop. Um, and the dog trainers at the time had all kinds of made up supposedly good reasons for why you had to train dogs like this. But the fact of the matter was that they were really so far off the mark and so incredibly lacking in knowledge that if they were, um, you know, actually scientifically correct about anything they were doing, it was kind of an accident. And, you know, to be fair, fields grow and change. We do better. It happens in the human fields too. Um, we learn and we grow, right? So I don't like to be too harsh about past training methods. I was using methods that today, you know, make me kind of gasp and, you know, just like shake my head over. Um, so the field was kind of very new and there was a lot of knowledge that was just lacking. Um, and as I gained experience and became more kind of obsessed with dog training, I wanted to learn everything possible. And I was finding limitations with the traditional training method. And I wanted to see what else was out there in terms of training methodology. And like today, you can look online, you can look in bookstores, you can go anywhere and you'll see training books of all sorts. And you'll have a wide variety. And many of those books are or resources are positive reinforcement based or humane and scientifically sound um, training resources. But back then, you kind of had to dig and see what you can come up with. Um, so I found a couple books that ended up kind of piquing my interest in a new way to train. Um, so I started reading. And meanwhile, I had gotten um, some pit bulls and I was hitting some walls in their training. And if you know pit bulls, they are some of the sweetest, most um, soft, like with people, deferential dogs. But they also have extreme tenacity and they don't respond well to physical pain or corrections. So you might jerk the heck out of one of them to get it to stop lunging, let's say at another dog, and you'll just make that dog more upset and more hell-bent on lunging and getting at that other dog. So um, due to some issues I was having with my, my current dogs, the traditional training methods were doing nothing but stressing me and my dogs out. And the behaviors I was seeing were getting worse. Um, I actually had one trainer tell me, you need to put your dog to sleep, he's dangerous. And um, that wasn't acceptable to me at the time. So I started learning about um, what is commonly known as positive training around this time. And this was probably around, probably like 1996-ish. And I began to then hear more about what I felt was even more exciting training method called clicker or marker training, which is what marine mammal trainers were using with animals that were too big to physically intimidate. They had to come up with, you know, a hands-free method of shaping behavior. Um, and I started playing around with these methods and seeing improvement with my own dogs, like night and day. And the more I learned about what we call these days force-free training or positive reinforcement-based training, the more sense it made to me. Um, then the ethics of using anything but pain and fear and force started becoming obvious. Like, was it ethical to do things to intimidate or force my dog into compliance, um, especially when there was another way? Um, that's when I went and took a college level psychology courses on learning. And I started learning more about how you don't need to physically force animals into compliance and how mentally damaging punishment and negative reinforcement 
um, which is using leash jerks, for instance, to get your dog to do what you want, actually are. Uh, so I dropped all of those things and dedicated my training life to using methods that did not hurt or scare dogs and instead helped to build a bond and a partnership between dog and human. And um, the best part was like my success with training dogs and solving behavior issues actually greatly improved because my knowledge improved. Um, so it, it kind of was a, like a, like a 180, you know, I went from using one method and then as time went on, completely changed everything I knew, dropped everything I knew about dogs and kind of started from scratch. And suddenly a whole bunch of light bulbs went off. Um, so, you know, back then information on positive training was just very hard to come by. And I think that's why most trainers use force and pain to train dogs. That's just how it was. We didn't have a better way. And it took a lot of effort on my part to seek out alternatives just because I wasn't content with what I was doing or learning at the time. And like I said before, now there's just so much amazing information on training dogs with kindness and compassion. So I personally feel there's no excuse to train dogs any other way. Um, and it's really wonderful that so much fantastic information exists for dog trainers and owners. And I continue to learn from other trainers and try to make sure that my methods are cutting edge and always what is best for the dog. Um, but I also want to make sure that the human in the equation is getting help that they need as well. I want to make sure that things make sense for them and that, you know, we share our lives with dogs. And when you're having problems with your dog in your home, it can be very upsetting and, and turn your whole world upside down. So working with the people and helping them is a big part of what I do as well. So what I do has to make sense for the human. And I always take the human into account as well when I'm doing this sort of work. Definitely. Like you said, it used to be kind of, you don't know what you don't know. Exactly. So, but nowadays, I feel like as soon as you start researching training, it's it's pretty accessible to learn about positive reinforcement. So I think that's super exciting. Yeah, for sure. It's a big change in the field. and It's great. Absolutely. Um, you kind of ta started talking about, about your pit bulls. Do you want to talk about what inspired you to start your nonprofit? Yeah, definitely. Um, so I started researching American pit bull terriers and American Staffordshire terriers. I'll just call them pit bulls for the sake of this discussion. Probably in like late 1993 and 1994. Um, and when I was researching, one of the first things I found out was that there was a ton of misinformation out there about them and, you know, the media. And even, you know, in dog circles, I remember being in a training class once and somebody walked in with their AM staff or their pit bull and the dog was totally fine, well-behaved, perfect. But somebody who was in the class whis whispered to me, that's a pit bull, stay away from them, they're dangerous. And I like that stuck in my head. This was before I was involved in pit bulls. So even in the dog communities, there was a lot of misinformation about them. Um, and then I found out that there were bans across the United States where you couldn't even own the breed without fear of some sort of fines or getting your dog confiscated. It was like, surprising to me like these are dogs and there's laws against them hmm that's that's interesting and um you know nor I guess normal people might have been scared away this was like during the height of pitbull hysteria it wasn't like it is today where 
you know, I'm walking down the street and people see me walking one of my dogs. They're like, oh, they're such great dogs and they're so misunderstood. It was more like snatch your kids and run across the street and get out of the way because a vicious pit bull was walking down the street. Mm-hmm. So um, speaking of things changing, a lot changed for the breed too in the last couple of decades. But um, I found out these issues surrounding the breed and I got my first one in 1994. And the social issues, of course, you know, were very important to me because I felt people and dogs were getting the short end of the stick. And, you know, now I had one of my own and I wanted to make sure that my right to keep this dog was going to stay intact. And um, so I wanted to start dispelling myths and helping people understand the breed and fighting legislation um, known as breed specific legislation or BSL that would prevent people from owning these dogs. So that was a big concern to me. excuse me um so I'm like the type of person that when I get interested in something I'm like all in it's like not a little bit like no I don't just own a pit bull now I have to start an organization and educate people and fight bad legislation so um I started a website realpitbull.com which is still up and running to this day and I started um that was like back in the day when like email groups and listservs were very big and I started getting involved in the online pitbull community and um I had more and more people contact me for information and advice and various forms of help so um suddenly I was finding myself doing more on the ground activism and not just like through email or a website and I was watching other organizations sort of form, you know, alongside me doing pit bull education work. And I I said, I need to form an actual nonprofit organization too. So um, it took several years as I did everything myself pretty much um, and, you know, had to work from the ground up, but I eventually formed um, a nonprofit 501c3, uh, the real pit bull Inc. So uh, that's kind of, you know, the gist of how that organization got started. And it's been kind of my baby for all these years. Um, I, you know, just as a, a hub of information and help for people. Well, that's amazing. I mean, congratulations on all the work you do. I, I, I just admire you Thank so you. much. So I think it's really awesome. Thank you so um, much. Can you kind of explain what the main purpose and mission is overall? Yes. Um, So the main purpose is education. That's always been my key. With knowledge comes power. So uh, we educate on things like um, pit bull specifics, like temperament and their history, social issues affecting the breed related to breed bans or housing problems. A lot of times you can't rent with a pit bull. Um, You can't get insurance in certain cases or people lose their homeowner's insurance. And also just general information on dog behavior and training, making sure that information is the most current and accurate, scientifically valid information for people. Um, We're always working to dispel all kinds of mythology surrounding dogs in general and pit bulls specifically. Um, I also like to try to do fundraising to support other people and organizations who are doing things that align with our mission. I'm big on support and networking. Um, so, you know, that's something that's 
that's a passion of mine close to my heart that I try to do through any um, fundraising efforts we have through the Real Pitbull. And um, we also are, offer various behavior resources and support to owners and organizations to make sure they're getting um, accurate information and help with whatever issues they might be facing. Okay, great. Obviously, you do a lot of work for other people and a lot of education. Um, so what do you value most about your work? Helping change people's minds. You know, back in the day, it was about helping people change their minds about pit bulls and what they actually were like. They weren't these, you know, crazy monsters um, that could turn on you or rip your throat out at any second. And now as times have changed and more and more people have come to love pit bulls and they've become kind of, you know, accepted breed in our success, in our society, um, information about dogs in general and behavior that will positively impact dogs lives as well as human lives is kind of what I value most. I love giving people aha moments about their dog's behavior or what they can do to fix a behavior problem because oh, so much that we see in, you know, problematic behavior in dogs and issues with dogs and people is like a misunderstanding between two different species. And I love kind of bridging the gap between the two species and helping them live better lives together. It's not just about dogs, although dogs are our main focus. We're very focused on the human side of things as well, because you can't really separate dogs and humans. They go together. Absolutely. We've co-evolved for so long. It's impossible to, to separate. Them. Exactly. Mm -hmm. um, do you have anything you're currently working on either in the training or with your nonprofit that you'd like to share? Um, not specifically. I'm looking to, we're, we're in the process of potentially doing some rebranding, which might be a little exciting to kind of expand our role in not just pit bull work, but dog welfare um, and education in general. And, you know, every year I feel like I might be inching a tiny bit closer to my dream of having um, a, a live-in facility that's kind of a haven for dogs and their people where they can come to learn and, and train and take classes and have, you know, a small rescue facility. That's kind of the pipe dream. And obviously the biggest issue holding us back from doing that is finances because that's a very expensive endeavor but um i have hope for the future and i'm you know i'm constantly looking to grow and change the organization and be to best serve people and dogs so we'll see what happens over the course of the next year or so definitely that's very exciting um for anyone who might be interested can you explain a little bit about your behavior assessment on dogs and your training process Sure. So um, that's kind of, I'm trying to think about the best way to explain this because it's, it's complex for, for behavior assessment. So I used to do those for other organizations or rescues or shelters. You know, they'd hire me to come in and say, could you evaluate this dog within an hour and tell me what you think? And sometimes that's easy and sometimes that's hard. And as I grew and learned, I decided that, you know, trying to assess a dog's temperament in a short span of time and maybe a stressful or unnatural environment wasn't something that I felt was even ethical to do. You know, you could see behaviors that are alarming that might go away completely in a different environment 
or you could see a dog that seems totally fine in that setting and just because it's shut down and not exhibiting certain behaviors and then you put that dog in a home and um it just things go completely you know sideways so for our own rescue program which right now is on hiatus but in the past it's basically been you know bring the dog home let them decompress let them learn to be a dog and get to know them just day by day and see what unfolds that way in terms of their temperament um, that they're manifesting and what behaviors they're showing over the, the span of you know time instead of just trying to take a, a snapshot in an hour and say you know tell me all about this dog in an hour i just don't think that's reasonable or possible um, you know, there's certain behaviors off the bat that if I see, I'm going to say, I probably wouldn't recommend bringing this dog into a program or placing it in a home, but in other situations, you really have to give the dog some time to just show you who they really are because they've come from a bad background. Um, and I don't excuse things, especially in this breed related to aggression towards humans, it's just not something that I feel the breed is about. They can go through horrendous abuse and neglect and still be totally loving towards people. Um, but things like extreme shyness, for instance, or, you know, not wanting to be handled or touched. Um, those are things that, you know, given certain dogs backgrounds, you really want to give them some time to readjust and maybe start learning that they can trust humans before you make any kind of final um, decision on who they are and what kind of home they belong in. And um, does that kind of make sense? Definitely. Yeah. I'm glad that you explained that a little more in detail. Yeah. Um, so as far as training, that is something where, you know, it's, I'm all, you know, positive reinforcement based and I reward behavior I want um, to kind of try to put it in a nutshell. I create a lot of value reinforcement history for behaviors I want to see. And those are the behaviors I will see and um, more and more, and they will tend to push out the unwanted behaviors. Um, in behavior cases where there's already a problematic behavior like aggression, um, management is a huge part of the process. You know, a lot of people are like, well, you know, what do you do with an aggressive dog? And you can't just throw treats at it and hope for the best. And that's a, you know, grave misunderstanding of what positive reinforcement training is. We figure out what the dog's triggers are, what the dog's threshold is, and put them in situations only that they can handle while we're in the training phase. And, um, we set the dog up to succeed at every at every stage. So um, while we're working to change the dog's emotional state and helping them learn new behaviors to take place of the old. So setting the dog up to succeed and at a, at a level um, they can handle at any given stage of the training is what we do. So um, with positive training, a lot of times you don't even see the aggressive behavior because we're working below threshold and gradually making that threshold smaller and smaller. Um, so it doesn't look very dramatic. It, it's kind of a boring process if you're just standing on the outside watching it, but that's kind of how I approach, um, training and behavior, uh, modification. So I, I, it's very dog focused. It's what the, do the dog's behavior tells me what they can handle. And then, like I said, for just, you know, your average training that, you know, your dog should go through, you know, walking nicely on a leash and sitting, 
for pets and, you know, coming when called, all that is just, what can we do to make the dog want to do those things? What kind of rewards can we offer the dog for doing those things? And those things end up kind of taking precedence over any unwanted behaviors because there's no reward for the unwanted behaviors. They get reward for doing what I ask. So it's fun too. That's the type of training that's fun. You get a very enthusiastic, happy dog when you work that way. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm glad that you explained that a little more in detail as well. Cause um, I think a lot of people, I don't know, can get mistaken, especially with just like media and, and TV these days, they think that that dog trainers are like dog whisperers and it's not like that. It's like, would they you have a technique and anyone can do it? And it's, it's not. It's so true. <laughs> yes. A hundred percent. It's all science-based and yes, anyone could do it if they want to take the time to learn. Mm-hmm. So true. Can you explain, or well, can you tell us how the general public can find you and support you? Sure. Um, you can go to realpitbull.com. It has all our information on it. And if you are on the homepage and you scroll down to the bottom right, there's a link to PayPal that you can um, make donations to. And you could always share our content. Um, that is a big way to support us and bring awareness. We are on Facebook at um, The Real Pitbull. So you can find us there as well. And, um, you know, in this day of social media, any kind of clicks and shares help a lot. So just awareness and spreading our message and the content of our website is a big way that you can support us. Okay, awesome. Thank you. I'll add those links in the in the description as well. Awesome. Uh, Thank you. Yeah. So why don't we take a little break here and we can come back and talk some more. Awesome. Thanks. Hi, everyone. We're back with Mary Alverson, a certified dog behavior consultant and founder of The Real Pitbull. And we're going to keep on talking about her experience in training. So what is one thing you learned while training a dog that you did not expect? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I was thinking about this. And I think uh, the biggest kind of surprise that I did not expect was that training dogs would change my mindset about how I deal with people and how I view, you know, society as a whole was, as I said before, like I came from a place in dog training where the dog was always wrong or bad and we had to correct and punish them. And um, when I learned about positive reinforcement-based training, I had such a paradigm shift. I don't know how else to explain it. It's about life in general, about looking at things from the opposite end of the spectrum, um, I realized how often we focus only on what is wrong and we don't pay attention to what is right. I mean, like wrong behavior versus quote unquote right behavior. And, you know, we tend to give our focus and attention to what is wrong, but when we give our, what we give our attention to is what we get more of. So, you know, I started focusing on things when in dog training, like what I wanted out of the dog. And suddenly I was getting more of those things. Like the old school mindset of dominance and needing to use punishment and dogs needing to be put in their place, so to speak. Um, those concepts in general are so ingrained in society and how, you know, we even deal with each other. So, um, you know, I, I think it was surprising to me that sometimes I would hit like roadblocks and people just didn't want to even consider that there was another way to work with dogs. Um, But, you know, change is a slow and painful process. 
when you're working, you know, at the core level when society itself and how we deal with each other is largely punishment based. Like we look for ways to tell each other how we're wrong and, you know, don't look for what we're doing right. We're hierarchical society. So I think it's kind of natural. It makes sense on the surface to want to be the bosses of our dogs to the point where we're convinced that like, if we don't take a stand of force and punishment, our dogs are going to somehow take over our lives. But you had said this before, you know, dogs evolved alongside us. And, you know, in reality, dogs are constantly trying to do things to create harmony with their, within their human families. They're such a fascinating species they've evolved alongside us and it is in their best evolutionary interest to want to work with us not against us and if you study ethology at all in the history of you know the dog and how we came to be in the situation we are with them you'd see that it makes no sense that they're constantly trying to take over our our worlds and dominate us and do things to cause disharmony it, it, from an evolutionary standpoint that makes zero sense so um, I think, you know, it was, it was a, not, it was an unexpected, but pleasant side effect that I started looking at everything in a different way. And, you know, even trickled down to how I eventually was parenting my own kid. Um, so that, that was not what I expected. I, I delved into positive reinforcement training as an alternative to what I was already doing to just try to fix a couple of behavior problems. And, in my own dogs and it ended up kind of changing my whole life. Absolutely. Yeah. I was um, actually going to take a note on that. Like I, I thought it was interesting that you have that background in psychology because I don't know though. It's like, we would never treat our own children like how we used to train a dog. Right. So it is interesting to see how that background can help so much in this field. Oh yeah, absolutely. Cause if you delve into the field of psychology and learning theory, it's all, you know, lab based with animals. So, you know, people are like, oh, well, what does that do have to do with dog training? But the learning processes are the same. Um, so that's why I really strongly encourage people to look into psychology and learning theory to get a good base, like foundation for how organisms learn, because then you'll be able to apply those concepts to teaching dogs, because, you know, we're all at the mercy of learned behaviors, whether we realize it or not, every single day, dogs, humans, everybody. So it's really interesting. And um, yeah, that's kind of how I approach things these days when it comes to dogs. Mm -hmm. Kind of on that same note, what are some of the biggest challenges you face working in this field? Oh, by far, <laughs> the internet and social media are like, they're a cursing, they're a curse and a blessing. You know, there's so many wonderful things that have come out of our ability to learn online and to interact with each other online, but misinformation spreads and then it becomes gospel. And it's like misinformation, I think, continues to be the biggest challenge because, um, there's so much free misinformation and it can be difficult to sort through what's real and what's fake. And it could be difficult to be seen and heard if you're a smaller organization, like the real Pitbull, because it's like, well, who are you? Somebody else who has a hundred thousand followers told me that this was true. So, um, you know, especially with some myths, let's, you know, for sake of an argument with Pitbulls, we went from like one end of the spectrum 
like pit bulls are bloodthirsty killers and they'll snap and, you know, just go crazy and kill everybody. And the pendulum then swung in a completely opposite direction. And now there's all these fluffy feel good myths about the breed that aren't true either. And it still hasn't quite swung back to a happy medium, you know? So when people read things like, oh, you know, they were a nanny dog and they were farm dogs and herded cattle, um, that sounds so much nicer then, oh, well, they were originally a fighting breed that also happened to be very versatile and good with kids. Like, it's nicer to say they were a nanny dog and a farm dog when, you know, there's like a, a nugget of truth there. Like, they were an all-purpose dog, you know, throughout the years, but they were originally created to be a fighting breed. And that's just fact, but that doesn't sound so nice. So some people just don't want to hear that. Um you know, the other thing is we're always fighting against um, problematic training methods because there's a lot of double speak and hyperbole in the dog training world and, you know, methods that promise fast change in behavior through supposedly harmless methods. Like right now, the big thing is electronic collars, aka shock collars, um, as quote unquote force free when they're actually extremely aversive and work through punishment. Um, and those are sometimes seemingly fast techniques that don't seem to require the same level of work as positive reinforcement training. So there's constantly a struggle um, trying to get the correct information out there. And I, I'm constantly doing a balancing act of wanting to correct misinformation, but not kind of getting sucked down that black hole of getting into arguments with people. And I mostly want to present information that I have that I know to be true and show people through action versus trying to sit there and argue with them. But yeah, misinformation is, is really a problem. Definitely. How do you suggest that people kind of, I don't know, get past the misinformation and find trustworthy information online when they're trying to look for training methods or drug training programs? Yeah, that's a great question. So my suggestion is to always look at the source first and foremost. Um, you know, credentials like world champion trainer um, might sound impressive, but that's a personal accomplishment and doesn't speak to what they're actually doing to dogs to get to that level. Things like, you know, looking at the source, is it a veterinary behavior association, you know, backed by science? That's something that you should pay attention to. Um, even, you know, some of the dog training, the professional dog training organizations have, you know, arguments about who's right and who's wrong. So you have to even be careful with some of the organizations, but mainly, you know, look at credentials. Is it somebody that, you know, is certified in some way? Look up their certification, see, what that certification means and who they got it from. Does it, do they apply, um, you know, positive reinforcement methods and promote those methods? Or are they using things like prong collars and e-collars, AKA stim collars, and they're really shock collars. So you, you kind of have to dig. You can't take anybody on face value because there's a lot of people and organizations out there that look very shiny and nice um, and sound, sound very good, but, um, when you dig a little deeper, you see what they're really doing. And so, you know, I, I really think it's, the, and this is again, why it's hard for the general public, because you have, you have to do some research. You, if you see a trainer and they list their credentials, look the credentials up, 
and then go from there. Does it sound like something you want to pursue? Does it sound like somebody you want to follow um, with their advice? And any you'll find across the board, all the veterinary behaviorist organizations um, are staunchly opposed to punishment-based training methods. So they're kind of, you know, because they're such educated individuals who have gone through so much training and are science-based, um, and medically sound practitioners, those are kind of the people that I put at the top level as far as who to listen to about methodology. And then, you know, go from there when you're looking at local trainers or trainers on the internet, what are their credentials? And then look up those credentials to see if they align with your beliefs. Okay, great. Yeah, I think, yeah, sometimes it's hard for people to take that extra step, but like it's so necessary when it's something so important and it's going to impact your dog on such a high level. So, right, exactly. And I don't fault people because it's the field, the field is completely unregulated and there's a lot of confusing information out there. So my goal is to never, you know, shame or fault people. It's just to guide them so that they can learn a better way. Absolutely. Obviously, you do a lot of education and um, helping people understand training, but what is one important lesson that your work has taught you? I, I think that I'm always learning and that there's never a, a time where I'm just like, this is it. And I, I've gotten to the pinnacle, you know, and I'm done. Like just when I think I have it down pat, like, yes, this is the way to do things. And yes, this is how I want to interact with people and dogs. I learned something new. And I think that's so important because just as a, a species, as human beings are always learning and always growing. And I like to think that we're always trying to find the better way to do things. So, um, you know, 20 years ago, I was convinced about certain things in dog training and, you know, 20 years later, I'm like, oh, I feel like I don't know anything. Like every time I pick up a new book or look, listen to a new webinar, I'm like, wow, no way. Like, it's just, there's so much to learn. And um, I think that's the biggest takeaway to just keep growing and trying. And we're all trying to do our best with, you know, what we have and what we know and where we're at. And as long as we're always striving to do better, then I think, you know, we all deserve some applause. Absolutely. Yeah. I think some people might get intimidated by that fact, but it really, it should just be exciting that, that there's always more to learn. Yes, absolutely. You got to look at it as an adventure and more to learn. Mm -hmm. I think that's, that's so true. Definitely. So this next question is a little cheesy, but working in the animal welfare field, I, I, I like to make people think about the positives. Yes. What is your best tip for making the world a better place? Um, use positive reinforcement. <laughs> Learn about positive reinforcement training. I. It sounds so simple and it's probably like a predictable answer, but it's just like, I'm not talking about, you know, put your head in, your, in the sand type of thing. I'm just talking about focus on the little good things that you encounter each day. What did your dog do this morning when you woke up? Did he, you know, jump all over the place and scratch the door to get out? Or, you know, did he happen to sit before you gave his food, you know, put his food in his food bowl and put it down? Like, focus on what your dog did right. And use that as your foundation to move forward. Like, it really is that simple. Um, I just think, you know, 
I, I'm, I'm beyond, to be honest, I'm actually a doom and gloom type person. I'm hundred percent a pessimist. So I'm speaking to myself as much as to the general public when I, I talk like this, but um, you, you really do have to, to focus on, you know, the good things and, and working in animal rescue or any of the animal welfare, fill, uh, welfare fields, so hard, so emotionally draining. We really have to try to uh, build each other up and focus on what you know we agree on and, and work from there because we're never going to get anything done if we just are focused on the infighting and who's doing what wrong and who did that and who did this. Um, you know, it's it's the point where people can lose their lives because they're so drained and overwhelmed. Um, so I think it's really important that we just take stock of the positive aspects of things and how we could all work better together. And it, to swing that back around to dog training, you work better with your dog when you view, view them as a partner and they might do incorrect behaviors or things you don't like, but show them a different way. Don't think of them as being wrong or bad. That's what they know at that time. That's what they've learned and that's what they're doing. So can we show them a different thing to do? Yeah, we can. We could show them through positive reinforcement. And we could do the same, I think, with people. And that's something that, you know, we don't always remember. We're, you know, we're all stuck in our little worlds and our little, this is what's right and they're wrong kind of mentalities. You know, I'm uh, just as much to, you know, have just as much of a problem with that as anybody else. But um, I think focusing on what we need to do and what we're all doing together to further the field of animal welfare and to help animals and people is what we really need to be focused on. And I, I do firmly believe that. I'm not always perfect at it, but I, I do strive to be that way. Yeah, definitely. I think that's great advice. It's so important to just celebrate the small victories. Yes, absolutely. It's very easy to get overwhelmed and, and bogged down. So there's always going to be more to do and somebody else to disagree with. And we have to focus on the small victories of the day. Absolutely. Well, kind of wrapping up a bit, what are the biggest things you're looking forward to in your career? Um, hopefully eventually having that facility for my nonprofit. Um, that's something that's always in the back of my mind and just working with more people and dogs, I think, and getting, a, you know, a greater reach, getting out there more, you know, COVID kind of taught us that if there's one good thing that came out of it, um, you know, we have Zoom, you know, we have virtual learning, we could reach more people that way. And that's kind of what I'm focused on right now, doing more virtual teaching and learning. So I'm not confined to geographic location. Um, I want to do more educational stuff online and help a broader range of people. So I'm excited about that, setting up some virtual programs and also expanding to be not just so Pitbull focused. Um, that's always going to be my, my love and my prime focus, but also to just reach dog owners and, you know, people who work with dogs in general and just help more people and dogs. That's what I'm excited about. Okay, great. Um, is the best way for people to find like your webinars and anything you're working on on your website? Yes, realpitbull.com and also dogupinc.com. Those would be the two um, websites to learn more about what I'm doing and what I'm teaching. 
And right now, um, I'm really looking to build some, uh, to do some fundraising to get up some of these online programs. So if anybody, um, you know, has interest in doing any donations right now, the main thing those donations would go to would be to building some online um, learning opportunities for people. Okay, great. Well, is there anything you'd like our audience to know that I haven't thought to ask you? No, I think your questions were great. I really enjoyed um, answering them and doing this podcast. This was really, really nice. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. Thank you for joining me. I feel like I learned so much in such a short amount of time. Oh, thank you. That was such an inspiring interview. I learned so much and I hope you did too. If you were moved as much as I was and want to support this amazing organization, please visit our website at theanimallawfirm.com and check out our merch page as all profits from merchandise go towards supporting the guests on the show. Or follow the links to donate to this organization directly. If you want to support the podcast, please share us on social media and give us a five-star review. Anything helps. Thanks again for tuning in. Until next time, fellow underdogs.